won't hurt a thing. Amen. Thank you, guys. Excellent job this morning. Good morning, church family. It's a wonderful setting of God's table for the preaching of the Word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. I wasn't in here for the first part. Was there a veterans recognition? Okay, I want to say personally thank you to all our veterans. Uh, When I was doing my research on my doctorate of ministry, I found that Appalachia is actually home to the most veterans of any other region of the United States. Nearly one out of ten people from Appalachia have served in the military forces. So it's if we get a reputation in town for being the church that loves veterans, so be it. We love veterans, right? That'll be just fine, all right? Okay, listen, here's the Word of God. I've been out, I think, for a week. We had uh, Dino Sines preach for us last week. He did a great job on Psalm 23. Uh, let me remind us of where we have been. I, I wish there was some way to take that pillow at night. If you're like me, that information seems to ooze out of your ear. If there was some way we could wring that thing out and get that information back and put it back in our minds, it would be helpful, wouldn't it? We've been with Jesus here. We're preaching through the Gospel of Luke. We have seen in chapter 12 where he has warned the Pharisees, thank you, Zach, for not having the leaven of the Pharisees, that they should not be marked by the things that they're marked by. He has told them in the last series we went through, don't be anxious. And from this section of don't be anxious, now we are going to move into this section about being prepared, being ready. But the question is ready for what? When I was uh, growing up and my teenage years and college years, I remember there was a very big obsession, and I think still is, on prophecy and the return of Jesus. I can remember begging and pleading with my mom to buy me a Tim LaHaye prophecy Bible. I wanted one so bad. Finally, she broke down and bought me one for Christmas, I think. And I've still got it, still got it. But I just wanted to interpret everything through the lens of prophecy. And to be quite honest, that's a mistake. Right? Sometimes if you run to do that and see everything through that lens, you're going to miss the point of a text. And when we come to a text like what we're going to look at this morning, if we're not careful and we just run quick to dismiss it as just prophecy and be ready, we will miss the point of what Jesus has to say. So let us now look at the Word of God together. It'll be on my screens to the left and right here if you don't have a Bible. Hear the Word of God. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom has blessed will find so doing when he comes. 
Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more." Amen. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But say the last part with me if you know it. But the word of our God endures forever, doesn't it? How are you this morning? What are you living for? How is that working out for you? Is it working out well? And when that does work out, tell me what's next. These are the questions that Jesus is drawing our attention to in this passage. Although not directly asked, but somewhat veiled through parables, these are the questions that is being addressed. Many ways, these are the questions that we have to start gospel conversations with now. Some of you may remember James D. Kennedy, the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, very famous pastor who wrote Evangelism Explosion. And there was a series of questions that you would ask people who were far from God, and it would start with this. Tell me, if you were to die right now and stand before a holy God, and he said, why would you let me into heaven? What would you say? And Dr. Moeller at lunch on Thursday with us pastors in the area said, we can't start there anymore because most people don't spend their days thinking about heaven anymore. Most people are too preoccupied with their life and getting from point A to point B or getting from one shift to the next. A postmodern thought has invaded, therefore we have to press them where it counts. And where it counts is on these questions that Jesus presses in on. So let's see how he communicates this and let's see how we can learn from this. First of all, looking at verse 35, is anyone here have a King James this morning. Anyone reading from a King James Bible? One of you? If you would please read loudly what it says in the first part of 35. Yeah. Uh, That's good. Right there. That's all I wanted. It says, "Let let your loins be girded. Gird up your loins. That's what it says. Um, The Bible in the King James, of course, written in King James English. When I was a new believer, I had no idea what that meant. You know what I thought it was? I thought it was like those corsets that women would wear years ago. You know what I'm talking about? Where they would lace them in the back. Like they look like torture devices. I feel like the fashion industry just finds new ways to torture women all the time, right? There's a new corset. And this don't look like they can breathe in them at all. And they just hem them up. I thought that's what it meant to gird up the loins. That's not what it meant. Now, that was just like some, you know, teen, you know like early high school kid trying to figure it out. Here's, here's what it was. In ancient, ancient Near Eastern dress, they would have, the men would wear an outer garment that was like free-flowing that would be almost down to their, about their ankles. 
And if you needed to move quickly and you basically have a long dress on, it's a little restrictive, right? So what do you need to do? You need to free those legs up, right? So they would take and fold the outer garment up into their belt if they felt they were going to be in a position where they had to run quickly and they would pull that garment up and expose part of the thigh. Now I don't know if it was like a 1980s high thigh or like a mid thigh or like a 1990s low thigh. I'm not sure where the, the thigh fell but it was enough to free them up to be able to run and to move where they needed to go. Okay. Uh, so you can see that in your mind. So that's what that means. I, I like the rendering of the ESV stay dressed for action. Since it's Veterans Day, many of you know if you were on duty, you had to do two things, right? You had to, to wear the proper attire and you had to be alert, right, Richard? Weren't that the two things you were required to do when you were on guard? So this is what Jesus is pointing to. Another thing he says here, keep your lamps burning. Um, there was no modern street lamps in ancient Israel. There were no uh, light posts for them. When it got dark, it really got dark, okay? It's kind of like uh, there's a campground in Irwin. I can't remember the name of it right now. We went there when I was a kid. I think I've shared this with you before. It was a very traumatic camping experience for me and my family. Uh, when the lights went out, you could not see your hand this close to your face. Like it was that kind of dark, right? And I remember in the middle of the night I heard, ah! You know, and it's like, you know, you're bear country and there's there coyotes and wolves. I thought my sister was being eaten alive. She was having a night terror. Nobody slept for the rest of the night because we couldn't see. We heard screaming through the night. We got in the truck the next day. I told my dad, I said, Dad, we, I appreciate the effort. We don't ever have to camp again. And we never did. It was wonderful. We just went and stayed at holiday. You know, we're, I'm a big fan of flipping on light switches and there being lights. Here in this passage, what do he say? Keep your lamps burning. You have to be able to see in order to do what's going to be asked of you in the next part of the parable. Uh, let's move on and see what the verse says here. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so they may open the doors and he may come in. Now something interesting, Jesus here is giving this to us in kind of like four parables here, right? Four kind of quick parables. And this one here is of the servants being prepared when the master comes back from the feast. But notice here, he didn't tell them the exact time he was going to return, did he? He just said, be prepared. Now another thing that's interesting about this parable is it's upside down. What I mean by that is if you advance in this passage here to 37, 38, what we see is, just move it on to 37 there for me. Blessed are the servants who finds them awake. So they've got their lamps trimmed. They've got their, their, um, their loins are girded, right? They're dressed to be ready to move and to work, to, to receive him, help him to get into the home and prepare him for whatever's needed. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself. Usually the servants aided with dressing. But here in this passage, the master will dress himself. It also says here that the servants will recline at table and that the master will serve the servants. Where have we seen this before? Friends, do you, do you not remember? Jesus here is prophesying of what's going to soon come in the Lord's Supper in some ways, isn't he? Who was it that did the foot washing in the upper room before Jesus went to the cross? Was it Peter that washed everyone's feet? Who was it? It was the master, wasn't it? It was Jesus Christ. He's given a picture here of those who come to know the one true and living God do not come to be served. They come to do what? To serve others, right? Okay. Then it says here, it could come at any hour. 
second watch, third, finds them awake. Some are asleep. Some are asleep to the reality that Jesus will come at any time. I want to share with you something, and I want you to think about this, okay? My grandmother said this to me. My last memory of my grandmother in her home, she was dying of lung cancer. She died on Valentine's Day, 1999, okay? Back in probably, I want to say, late November, last holiday we had with her, mid-November of 98, she was sitting in her favorite chair. She had a certain position she sat in. She's a very tall lady. She played basketball. She was over six feet tall. And uh, she was dying of lung cancer. And she said, Travis, I, um, I hear a lot of preachers on television because she wasn't able to go to church anymore. We didn't have live stream back then. Right? It was the 90s. We didn't have those things. It was fancy stuff. We didn't even know about that then, right? So I heard a lot of preachers on TV and radio. And they talk about when Jesus comes to get us, when Jesus comes back, she said, and then she looked at me, and I'll never forget when she looked at me, and she said, but as far as I'm concerned, when we die, that's when Jesus comes to get us. And I said, you're right. <laughs> you're right. So I want you to think about this. Whatever shift it happens on, whenever, whenever Christ comes for us, whether he comes with the shout of an archangel, or whether he comes like Mamma Sue went, uh, quietly, on February the 14th, 1999, he came for her at that time and at that moment, and he is coming for us. The question is, are we prepared for that? Are we prepared in that instant? And as we'll see in this later verse, are we prepared in a culminary, cumulative effect way for when Jesus comes back, right? Now, uh, Peter, in a very Peter fashion here in this passage, sort of interrupts the teaching of Jesus. And he does something that, quite frankly, is not anything new to whenever teachers or professors are giving lectures or teaching. And they think they have the crowd in the middle of their hands, right? Jesus said in verse 40, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at any hour. And then for, for, verse 41, what does Peter do? Uh, Lord... Are you telling this parable for us or for all, right? So, you know what this sounds like to me? This reminds me of when I was in seminary, okay? Now, before I say this, I want to make this caveat. There is a difference between asking questions and having a questioning spirit. You understand what I'm saying to you? People who ask questions in order to grow and learn, that's good. But people who have a questioning spirit are not interested in growing and learning. What are they interested in? They're interested in showing how keenly aware their intellect is or how good their knowledge is, right? I remember in seminary when hands would go up in seminary classes. You ever heard that question? People say, there's no such thing as a bad question. That's dumb. That's a dumb statement. People that have a questioning spirit... There is a such thing as bad questions because your heart's not right when you ask it, right? People in seminary would raise their hand. I just wanted to go down there. I wanted to smack their hands so bad, right? I just, I'm just being honest. I did. I wanted to smack their hand and be like, no, we, we didn't pay for this class on Hebrew for you to raise your hand and display for all of us your amazing knowledge that you got out of your grandpa's back 
bedroom whenever he talked to you when you were a kid. We're not looking for anything like that. We're wanting world-renowned scholars who have done the Greek and Hebrew homework, not you that just rolled in like the rest of us off the bus, right? Uh, so I was never really happy with people who had that address. I said, just e- my mind was email the professor. If he thinks your question's worthy, he'll share it with the rest of us. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. That's the way I felt in seminary, but, you know, the question spirit. And so here, here Peter, right? In many ways, you can think of it like a lecture hall. And in this lecture hall, the professor thinks he has everybody. Or if you're a teacher, you think you've got everybody with you. And then all of a sudden, the one person raises their hand. Uh, Excuse me. Yes. Will this be on the test next week? I just was wondering, right? And you feel deflated, defeated. Is it pointless? Were you hearing anything that I just said? No doubt Jesus must have thought or felt that with Jesus Peter's question here. And so he goes on and brings some clarity here. He gives this illustration of the wise manager in uh, the next verse here. Another, another illustration here. Who uh, blesses a servant whom his master uh, will do what he wants when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Over all his possessions. Here's a question. What are the just Jesus is the master here. What are Jesus' possessions? Do you ever ask that? What is his greatest treasures and possessions? Uh, the deacons right now at Grace Baptist Church are reading a book called Deacons. That's the name of the book. It's called Deacons. Okay? Doesn't sound real fun, but actually, first chapter was a lot of fun. Let me, let me give you a little something here to wet your whistle if you don't think it's good. Listen to this. Chapter 1 on the book Deacons. The Nazis, it turns out, did not like deacons. You want to know why, don't you? You'll have to buy the book and read it for yourself. Anyway, I want to share with you one illustration from this book on deacons. This is from 258 AD. This is from early church years. This is the story of a deacon named Lawrence. Lawrence was in charge of the church money, right? Some people think church's treasure is their money, right? Lawrence is going to show us here. 258, Roman Empire is not happy with Christianity, trying to snuff it out, trying to remove it. They're beginning to kill and persecute all kinds of Christian, martyr after martyr. Then Lawrence finds out about it. He's called by the governing officials, officials they call them magistrates, it's just a fancy way to say the, the governing officials of the day. And they told him, they, they said, look, this is the offer they made him in the government. They said, surrender the treasure of the church and you will be free. So Lawrence said, absolutely, give me three days and I will do that. So during those three days, he took all the money the church had, put it in safe hands. And during those three days, he rounded up the sick, the aged, the poor, the widowed, and the orphaned. And on the third day, he brought them with him in back in front of the government, back in front of the magistrates. And he said, sir, I brought you what you asked for. And then the magistrates said this. What is this? Some kind of a joke? And he said, no. These are the treasure of the church. Of course, they didn't like what he brought. (laughs) And they sentenced him to die. They burned him at the stake. At one point, he yelled out, you may need to turn me over. I think I'm done on this side. (laughs) And he died for Christ. So what is the true treasure of the church? Well, it's the Word of God, the relationship we have with Christ, and other people, isn't it? These people are Christ's possessions, aren't they? He was right to do so. 
as he brought in the true treasure, not the money, the people, right? Goes on here to make clear Jesus is pushing us here and asking us, what are we driving towards here, right? What is our life really about? What are those goals and what is next? Uh, Look at the next verse here, 45. But if the servant says to himself, my master is delaying in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat, drink, and get drunk. Verse 45 is the person who is convinced that there is no returning Christ. That Christ will not be back soon to get you. That you may do whatever you like with whatever you have whenever you feel like it without restraint or thought towards others. That is verse 45. It's a parable of almost everyone in our culture. And to be quite honest, it is us if we were really to look closely in the mirror. Many of us are entering into the church. We are more consumed with our problems and what's happening in our lives than we are with those that are seated around us. Time and time again, people tell me, I'm scared to go to church, I'm scared to go to church. You don't have to worry about people thinking badly of you because most people are just thinking of themselves. And that's what this bad servant is doing. He's just consumed with thought for self, right? Who is the faithful manager? He's going to tell you, right? Jesus is going to tell you what it means to be ready. We ought to be hearers here and doers here. Who is the one who's ready? I really wanted to call this sermon, Are You Ready? But... That most of the time when that question is asked, there's like loud sounds and sirens and all that. Are you ready to rumble? Like that kind of came to mind. I was like, I'm not going to do that. But that's what Jesus is saying. Who is ready? Are you ready? He gives the household food and proper time. He's given you food and proper time. Peter, I'm going away. Here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to place these sheep in your hands. You will be a steward of them. You will care for them. These are my possession. These are my people. Right? You see the application of this. You're to look after their spiritual well-being. You can pray for them. You can uh, love them and oversee them. Protect them from the wolves who teach falsely. These are the things I'm handing to you. It's different from the language that's used elsewhere in the New Testament, isn't it? When, when you turn to the book of Hebrews 13, in Hebrews 13, you see in the ESV, the last page here in 1317, the author says this, about, and says this about pastors. It says, basically, don't, don't fight with them. Don't talk badly about them. Don't talk badly to them. Uh, don't do any of that stuff that seems to be a favorite in church life, right? For they are keeping watch over your souls for those who will give an account. Every pastor who stands in a pulpit gives an account to Jesus for the record he kept as a culmination of his ministry in his life, just like these servants, right? I mean, think about this last parable. When this master comes and he finds these servants here, is he going to judge them based on what he finds in that moment, or is he going to judge them based on what they did collectively while he was gone? Which one is it? What they did collectively while he was gone. And that's usually the shape that he finds them in when he comes back. But it's not just a warning to pastors here. It's a warning to all of us, isn't it? 
it's not just pastors here. The message is this. Jesus is saying, I want you to be ready. And this is what I want you to be ready. I want you to feed the sheep. I want you to give them the pure milk of the word. That's why the preaching of the systematic word of God is critical for the life of the church, right? This is my job, to feed you the word every week so that you have an understanding of it, right? To protect you from the wolves, to shepherd your souls. This world is a harsh, hard place for Christians, And to be concerned with those other sheep, to build them up, build one another up and encourage them in times of need. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. That's what he's saying to all of us in this passage. How are we to be ready? How are we to be like Jesus in this passage? Right? How are we supposed to do that? Well, it's very, very clear how it's to be done. It's it's to be done by not looking, by looking out for others and not just ourselves. You know, I studied church revitalization. I said this in the last service, and I think I've said it before, but most churches don't die because they don't have money. Most churches have money. They die because if you look back and trace, it takes a church about 15 years to die. And if you trace the pattern back, the reality got twisted when the church stopped caring about the lost, and they stopped caring about the broken in their community, and they stopped caring about one another, and they started to pigeonhole their own desires and what they wanted and baptize those desires to get the funding and elbowing for those resources until eventually all that was left was the people most consumed in desiring those things. That's what kills a church. We're just stewards. This isn't my church. This isn't your church. This is Jesus' church, isn't it? What are we to do? We're to be the servants ready. Loincloths ready. Ready to do what? Ready for when Jesus returns? Yeah, that's good. But you know what? It may not happen before you go home to be with the Lord. So you know what you need to do? Be ready to serve at a moment's notice. Be ready to serve in the middle of the night. Be ready to serve one another whenever it comes. I'm telling you, the best times of serving others that has happened to me as a pastor have always come at the most inconvenient times to my schedule. Nobody checks with me when they have a medical emergency, right? Nobody checks my schedule, but it's a prime time to minister to others. I know you have a busy schedule. I know you're hurting. I know that you have physical ailments. I understand all that. But that's not an asterisk in this passage, is it? It says what? Be ready anyway, right? Be ready anyway to serve one another. Closes out with this. In the last verses here, it talks here about those who are beat. To, those who are beat when the master comes, varying degrees of punishment are, devil, are deviated out. I think this is an image of hell. I think there are varying, just like in heaven, there are varying degrees of rewards. Here in this passage, there are varying degrees of torment. Uh, there are some places that are worse than others. It says here, one of the servants is literally in the Greek cut in half. Is what it means. He cuts one servant clear in half. Uh, the others are just whipped, but they all receive a due punishment. They all have a knowledge. And it seems that the knowledge is correlated to the punishment. So the more you know of Scripture and the more you reject of it, the worse your punishment is, right? The last passage here, this, you thought Spider-Man was famous for this line, right? Much power is given, much is entrusted, much is expected. No, they just robbed Jesus and twisted his words a little bit. Every great Marvel movie or any movie you like borrows biblical narratives for the storyline. I don't know if you've figured that out yet, but that's the truth because the Bible has the best 
the best narratives on the planet. And uh, here in this closing section here, the question is put to you. Tell me, have you sat under good preaching and teaching? Has God entrusted you with truth? If he has, then he expects you to do more with it than those who don't have as much. He's coming back. He may come tonight. He may come tomorrow. For you, it may be sooner rather than later. The question is this. Are you prepared? Are you ready? Do you see and are you awake? Do you see others around you in their needs? Or you just continue to use for self? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you and we thank you for a passage like this and a day like this. Lord, when we are told over and over how much we deserve it, how good we are. Lord, what we know deep down is that the dark reality that we are not good deep down. That unfortunately, as Jesus has pointed out here, we struggle. God, we're a selfish people by nature. We're sinful to the core. We're insecure. We're prideful. We're fixed on our own agendas. We miss the big picture time and time again. And we're so in need of these words that Jesus spoke to us today. Are we ready? God, I'm I'm so thankful for the people of this church, for the people in this service who show kind love in our midst. It moves me to tears at times to think about how some here love one another. But we know we have a long way to go. A long way to go. Lord, speak to us deep in our hearts today with this truth. We want to be, we want to be servants, like good servants who are going to be blessed, who are described in this passage that we looked at. So we ask you for your forgiveness and we ask you for your grace. We ask that the Holy, by the Holy Spirit you would work the gospel so deep into our heart that it changes our lives and changes our priorities and changes our attitudes and changes the way we live towards one another. So that when we are constantly Christ-serving, other-focused, body of believers, a true family, bent on doing one thing, the will of the one who saved us. Do this, Lord, here. Work this in our midst We know, Lord, that if you do it, it will be accomplished. It will be your reality, the only reality. Your grace, the only true grace. And your power, the power above all powers. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've heard this message, but you don't know Christ personally, you you don't know the Master in an intimate way, won't you come to Him today? Won't you do what He asks? I'll be in the back to receive you. If you want to be baptized or be part of this church family, be happy to pray with you and receive you in the back as we sing. Please stand as we sing and receive.